to their old routine. Any help they could give each other was provided unstintingly, creating no conflict of interests because of their different tastes. Their married lives were not suffering, or so they convinced each other, and at thirty-five, having come through the swinging sixties unscathed, they began to make the most of the seventies. Early in that decade, Thames Television decided to send Michael off to America to edit an ABC film about living in New York for consumption by British viewers. Adrian, who had always wanted to see the eastern seaboard, did not find it hard to arrange a trip at the same time, as he claimed it was necessary for him to carry out some more than usually spurious research for an Anglo-American tobacco company. The two men enjoyed a lively week together in New York, the highlight of which was a party held by ABC on the final evening to view the edited edition of Michael's film on New York, An Englishman's View of the Big Apple. When Michael and Adrian arrived at the ABC studios, they found the party was already well underway, and both entered the room together, looking forward to a few drinks and an early night before their journey back to England the next day. They spotted her at exactly the same moment. She was of medium height and build, with soft green eyes and auburn hair, a striking combination of both men's fantasies. Without another thought, each knew exactly where he desired to end up that particular night, and two minds with but a single idea, they advanced purposefully upon her. Hello, my name is Michael Thompson. Hello, she replied. I'm Debbie Kendall. And I'm Adrian Townsend. She offered her hand, and both tried to grab it. When the party had come to an end, they had between them discovered that Debbie Kendall was an ABC floor producer on the evening news spot. She was divorced and had two children who lived with her in New York. But neither of them was any nearer to impressing her, if only because each worked so hard to outdo the other. They both showed off abominably, and even squabbled over fetching their new companion her food and drink. In the other's absence, they found themselves running down their closest friend in a subtle but damning way. "'Adrian's a nice chap, if it wasn't for his drinking,' said Michael. "'Super fellow, Michael, such a lovely wife, and you should see his three adorable children,' added Adrian. They both escorted Debbie home, and reluctantly left her on the doorstep of her 68th Street apartment. She kissed the two of them perfunctorily on the cheek, thanked them, and said good night. They walked back to their hotel in silence. When they reached their room on the 19th floor of the plaza, it was Michael who spoke first. "'I'm sorry,' he said. "'I made a bloody fool of myself.' "'I was every bit as bad,' said Adrian. "'We shouldn't fight over a woman. We never have done in the past.' "'Agreed,' said Michael. "'So why not an honourable compromise?' "'What do you suggest?' "'As we both return to London tomorrow morning, let's agree—' "'Whichever one of us comes back first. "'Perfect,' said Adrian, "'and they shook hands to seal the bargain, "'as if they were both back at school playing a cricket match "'and had to decide on who should bat first. "'The deal made, they climbed into their respective beds "'and slept soundly. "'Once back in London, "'both men did everything in their power "'to find an excuse for returning to New York. "'Neither contacted Debbie Kendall by phone or letter "'as it would have broken their gentleman's agreement.' But when the weeks grew to be months, both became despondent, and it seemed that neither was going to be given the opportunity to return. Then Adrian was invited to Los Angeles to address a media conference. 
He remained unbearably smug about the whole trip, confident he'd be able to drop into New York on the way to London. It was Michael who discovered that British Airways were offering cheap tickets for wives who accompanied their husbands on a business trip. Adrian was therefore unable to return via New York. Michael breathed a sigh of relief, which turned to triumph when he was selected to go to Washington and cover the President's address to Congress. He suggested to the head of outside broadcasts that it would be wise to drop into New York on the way home and strengthen the contacts he had previously made with ABC. The head of outside broadcasts agreed, but told Michael he must be back the following day to cover the opening of Parliament. Adrian phoned up Michael's wife and briefed her on cheap trips to the States when accompanying your husband. How kind of you to be so thoughtful, Adrian, but alas, my school never allows time off during term. And in any case, she added, I have a dreadful fear of flying. Michael was very understanding about his wife's phobia and went off to book a single ticket. Michael flew into Washington on the following Monday and called Debbie Kendall from his hotel room, wondering if she would even remember the two vainglorious Englishmen she had briefly met some months before, and, if she did, whether she would also recall which one he was. He dialed nervously and listened to the ringing tone. Was she in? Was she even in New York? At last a click, and a soft voice said, Hello. Hello, Debbie. It's Michael Thompson. Oh, hello, Michael. What a nice surprise. You in New York? Uh, no, uh, Washington, but I'm thinking of flying up. Uh, you wouldn't be free for dinner on Thursday, by any chance? Oh, let me just check my diary. Michael held his breath as he waited. It seemed like hours. Oh, yes, that seems to be fine. Fantastic. Shall I pick you up around eight? Yes, thank you, Michael. I'll look forward to seeing you then. Heartened by this early success, Michael immediately penned a telegram of commiseration to Adrian on his sad loss. Adrian didn't reply. Michael took the shuttle up to New York on the Thursday afternoon, as soon as he had finished editing the President's speech for the London office. After settling into another hotel room, this time insisting on a double bed, just in case Debbie's children were at home, he had a long bath and a slow shave, cutting himself twice and slapping on a little too much aftershave. He rummaged around for his most telling tie, shirt and suit, and after he had finished dressing, he studied himself in the mirror, carefully combing his freshly washed hair to make the long, thin strands appear casual, as well as cover the parts where his hair was beginning to recede. After a final check, he was able to convince himself that he looked less than his thirty-eight years. Michael then took the lift down to the ground floor, and stepping out of the plaza onto a neon-lit Fifth Avenue, he headed jauntily towards 68th Street. En route, he acquired a dozen roses from a little shop at the corner of 65th Street and Madison Avenue, and humming to himself, proceeded confidently. He arrived at the front door of Debbie Kendall's little brownstone at 8.5. When Debbie opened the door, Michael thought she looked even more beautiful than he had remembered. She was wearing a long blue dress with a frilly white silk collar and cuffs that covered every part of her body from neck to ankles, and yet she could not have been more desirable. She wore almost no makeup except a touch of lipstick that Michael already had plans to remove. Her green eyes sparkled. Say something, she said, smiling. You look quite stunning, Debbie, was all he could think of as he handed her the roses. "'How sweet of you,' she replied, and invited him in. 
Michael followed her into the kitchen, where she hammered the long stems and arranged the flowers in a porcelain vase. She then led him into the living room, where she placed the roses on an oval table beside a photograph of two small boys. "'Have we time for a drink?' "'Sure. I've booked a table at Elaine's for 30. "'My favourite restaurant,' she said, with a smile that revealed a small dimple on her cheek. Without asking, Debbie poured two whiskies and handed one of them to Michael. "'What a good memory she has,' he thought, as he nervously kept picking up and putting down his glass like a teenager on his first date. When Michael had eventually finished his drink, Debbie suggested that they should leave. "'Elaine wouldn't keep a table free for one minute, even if you were Henry Kissinger.' Michael laughed and helped her on with her coat. As she unlatched the door, he realised there was no babysitter or sound of children. They must be staying with their father, he thought. Once on the street, he hailed a cab and directed the driver to 87th and 2nd. Michael had never been to Elaine's before. The restaurant had been recommended by a friend from ABC who had assured him, that joint will give you more than half a chance. As they entered the crowded room and waited by the bar for the maitre d', Michael could see it was the type of place that was frequented by the rich and famous, and wondered if his pocket could stand the expense, and, more importantly, whether such an outlay would turn out to be a worthwhile investment. A waiter guided them to a small table at the back of the room, where they both had another whiskey while they studied the menu. When the waiter returned to take their order, Debbie wanted no first course, just the veal piccate, so Michael ordered the same for himself. She refused the addition of garlic butter. Michael allowed his expectations to rise slightly. "'How's Adrian?' she asked. "'Oh, as well as can be expected,' Michael replied. "'He sends you his love, of course.' He emphasised the word love. "'Oh, how kind of him to remember me, and please...